0: Hello, Grégoire. Hi, Edgard. How are things with you? I'm
1: good, thank you. How
0: are you? Doing very well, thanks. So, we are moving into a new podcast today. What are we talking about?
1: Well, today we are going to release the last episode on including the social in psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk about first the question of language. Then the question of fees and culture. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about symptoms and cultural slash group dynamic. What we disclose and what we don't as psychoanalysts. And finally, we talk about the general relativity of human values. Well, it sounds that we have a
0: lot to discuss today. Yes, we do. I'm pretty sure there might be some agreements and disagreements.
1: I guess (laughs) we will see. We will see.
0: Okay. This is Edgar Danielson.
1: This is Gregor Pierre.
0: Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. layer connected to the social would be language. My primary language is Spanish, and I practice both in English and Spanish. And I need to keep in mind that my patient's might be in similar situation. Their English is not necessarily their first language. Mm. So that creates certain situations in the room that need to be clarified. What I'm saying is that we cannot make assumptions of what we think the patient is communicating in a language which is not the primary language of that patient.
1: I completely agree with you.
0: So if I have a patient who is French, the assumptions that the English of the patient conveys what... The French patient is saying uh, it needs
1: to be uh, explored. An analyst doesn't necessarily need to listen to people in his or her native language, Mm -hmm. but certainly patients should express themselves in their native language as much as possible.
0: Yes. On the other hand, some patients decide to work with us, even though there is this gap. And I think
1: you yeah. might want to create some differences too. Yes,
0: and what comes to mind it has been those cases when a patient whose primary language is not English but the secondary language is not Spanish. <laughs> so we don't have much in common except that we try to express ourselves in English. Yeah. Sometimes the patient remembers something about childhood and I may say something like, well, say it in the language. Yeah, that yeah. you, ha- I that you used. And I have seen the affect changes immediately. I don't understand what the patient is saying, but the patient somehow has access to something that was there.
1: And that's the thing about therapy. It's not just about us understanding. It's about yes. patients connecting to themselves. This themself. patient
0: <laughs> connecting to themselves. And that allows us to get a glimpse
1: of their inner world. And for them to connect with it. Yeah. I've seen some people who came to see me because I was French, them not being French, but because of what it meant for them to be seen by a French analyst. Mm-hmm. And so I would assume that some people who are not speaking uh, neither English nor Spanish their first language might be interesting to see you because of what they perceive of what you. What they perceive of me. Like you will represent something yes. that they need to be confronted with, that they need to mm-hmm. feel comfort from. Uh, Let's talk now about the question of fees and how it can be experienced differently in different cultures. We brought it up already in the fee determination podcast. Clearly, the taxation structure of a society will have an influence on how a fee can be determined. We have to keep that in mind. For instance, in France, a lot of the health expenses are mutualized because there's only one main insurance. You will expect to pay less in therapy. It's inconceivable to pay fees like we pay in New York because of what it means to pay a lot is different depending on the country first and also the culture, because it's within a country, you can have different cultures. As we keep talking
0: about how it is influenced by culture, for example, in Puerto Rico, the taxation system is similar to the one in the United States. On the other hand, in terms of culture, going to therapy or being engaged in therapy is perceived perhaps as a weakness. Therefore, people are very reluctant to pay for therapy. Money would be the concrete evidence that they are weak. mm That quote unquote, they are not managing their anxiety or depression or whatever mental or emotional symptoms they may have. So that is an influence of the culture on
1: the fee. Another aspect is the fact that psychoanalysis is mainly seen as the product for high class. Mm -hmm. Even if it's less so in France, it's probably still the case. Again, I'm referring to France because that's where I come from. We would welcome comments regarding uh, what happens in other countries. Mm -hmm. But I can see in the US how psychoanalysis is really perceived as something for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to get people who don't perceive themselves as wealthy to come to therapy. And when you determine your fees, you have to hear where the person comes from.
0: The underside of that is the possibility that there's a fantasy that what they are getting in terms of the quality of treatment is less than if they had more money, there will be more quality of uh, treatment.
1: And it might resonate with their everyday experience.
0: And the parallel question would be, you know, a therapist who has a higher fee or a therapist who has a lower fee. Yeah. Am I getting the treatment that I need or not? Mm -hmm. And besides the quality of the treatment, there might be also a fantasy that they have to fight because they are paying too little. And when they pay too little for services in other areas of life, they have to fight for those services. So I wonder in what ways that may crystallize in the room if they fight with us for treatment. Another layer connected to culture is when we have someone else who is paying for a patient's treatment. The most common example would be parents paying for the treatment of a child
1: but what happens when the child is actually an adult?
0: Then that needs to be also explored in the analysis. What does it mean to receive the benefit of parents paying for treatment? Beyond family or relatives, there are some instances when you have a third party paying for treatment. I'm thinking of those cases in which we have, let's say, a religious order or we have a group of that lives in community with shared benefits and shared expenses, and the community is paying for the therapy. In those cases, it complicates the fee. The person may feel that they can advantage of the community. That's one possibility. The person may feel that they are entitled to the benefit. Mm -hmm. That's the other side of the coin, of course.
1: We won't be able to make the list of how much uh, the social can influence the situation or not. But clearly, when we are practicing, we should think of who's paying and in what frame. Mm-hmm. in general what we were preparing we wanted to bring up the fact that that the fees can be experienced in uh, differently in different cultures is also connected to the distinction between needs and wants i guess that's what you were already uh, referring to when you talked about uh, Portolico. in certain culture you would only go to a therapist because you really need it mm-hmm. it's somewhat of an external pressure yes while in other culture you go because you might want it Mm-hmm. and wanting it also implies that you grew up it doesn't again it doesn't necessarily imply it's never when we talk about social i don't think we should ever think of it as a straight line between two things mm-hmm. but as a potential influence like how in certain culture you will feel allowed to want to go to see a psychologist or a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. In others, it will feel like a luxury that you can't afford. Again, you will work on it if you have the occasion with your patient. Different uh, identifications are fighting in such moments. But uh, you will certainly find that in intellectual environments with wealth, people will feel more likely to feel going to therapist or a psychoanalyst is just a uh, a why not option instead of people I received who told me right away in my culture, we don't ask for help. So me being here is already kind of strange.
0: Yes. Something else that comes to mind is in terms of the social, for example, as people in the audience know, I have experience working in network with some health insurance companies. My experience has been that younger people are willing to use their benefits to come to therapy. I'm connecting this to the social because I don't experience older people using their benefits to come to therapy. Okay. They use their benefits to go to physicians, mm-hmm. to attend to medical problems, mm-hmm. but not so much to come to therapy. I see. So
1: I'm not sure why that's the case, but it has been my experience. To conclude with how the fee can be experienced differently in different cultures... One idea would be that, following what you just said, that it's very important to have places where there is low-fee therapy offered to create both access and trust, so that we can, by experience, help people get rid of this fantasy that analysis is only for people with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. When I was reading studies on hysteria, I was struck by... The case of Emily von N., how Freud was trying to understand her through her symptoms, it struck me to see how, at the time, women had no other means of expression but their body. Mm -hmm. And how Freud, who, of course, could not see the future, could not read this woman's symptoms as her not being perceived as something else, as a body or a vessel in some ways cuz yeah it's supposed the, to be pregnant and yeah, then uh, yeah that's it move on which is extremely cruel and an extremely limited perception of mm-hmm. a, yes. of a person of course people will tend to have more conversion symptoms yes. when their voice cannot be heard yes the experience that your voice your thoughts are meaningless to your environment will certainly emphasize conversion symptoms because that's the only way people will or seem to have paid attention to you. I guess what you're saying
0: is that the social location of the person sometimes has a direct impact on the kind of symptoms
1: that they are showing. Exactly. As another example of that, a few years ago, I went to a presentation where someone was describing a dynamic where a mother would stay at home with a very young baby and the father would um, go to work every day And I was struck by how the presenter seemed to perceive the father as an all-loving person and the mother as someone angry and very bad mother, to put it simply. And the presenter would never question the fact that the father had... In this situation, uh, get out of jail card in some ways by Mm. going to work every day, being able to uh, nourish his narcissism and then go back to his home and play with the child with the knowledge that the playtime is going to be restricted in time. I mean, it's not going to last for very long while the mother might feel forced to stay with a child all the time, which is if you have experience with uh, dealing with children, you m- should know that children are extremely demanding in terms of energy. Yes. And as an adult, it's very difficult to stay with a child for a long time. So to s- perceive a woman as a bad mother because this woman would be angry, depleted after being 24-7 with a child for months and months, and then think that the father is a great guy while actually he's having so much free time and narcissistic gratification at work. It's very uh, short-sighted. You have to see the social situation if you want to understand some of the symptoms, some of the attitude. You can't just put everybody at the same level and then only consider their behavior and their internal conflicts. I think it's very dangerous as a clinician to do that. That leads us to the idea that the group dynamic is most often forgotten while we are seeing someone alone in our office. And I think it's dangerous because group dynamics are all the time within us.
0: And again, that we need to look at the social location. But within a group, uh, each person in the group will have a slightly different social location. Yeah. Even if, the, let's say, it's a group of people in the same gender identity, let's say all of them women, there might be some social locations that are different for some of them. And we need to take that into consideration. One of the things that comes to mind is that say we have a mixed group of Latinos, Latinos and people of European descent what we observed is that the Latinos will tend to be more silent in the room. And that is connected directly to social location. So uh, in- inter- internalization, internalization
1: of, uh, uh, of preconceptions.
0: Of, yes, of what does power mean. And
1: and what not, not having power means. And
0: what it means to be powerless. You put the same person in a more homogeneous group, and I have seen this happening, it looks uh, almost as if it's a different person. The person can talk, the person can express ideas, and the person can engage in discussions. But most of the time, as you said, these things are not taken into consideration when we're talking about groups.
1: When you receive someone and how you look, how they will perceive you, will necessarily influence what they will bring up, how they can bring this up. And actually, it can be a very transformative experience for a patient to confront oneself Mm. with an analyst identified as being in a position of power and experience a nourishing Mm -hmm. connection. It can be a difficult experience to experience something on the other side. Like you go see someone because you believe that they are like you. Yes, And then you have this harsh delusionment that looking like one another doesn't necessarily mean understanding one another. Yes. To
0: connect to what you're saying in, in diets like analyst, analysand or groups, uh, there are some assumptions about belonging and connection and those are socially constructed. So as we were talking about this podcast, we talked a little bit about the types of patients we have and how people approach me for some specific reasons and not you. Mm -hmm. And that might be connected to how we present ourselves socially, let's say social media or our websites or what they see in pictures and so on and so forth. So that's kind of a disclosure of some of our identities, but it also serves as a way to bring someone on board.
1: I can belong. I can connect to this person. The way we present ourselves is one space and then there's a space of how we are perceived and where or when they meet, uh-huh. then people can contact us. Yes. Something like that. So
0: when there's an overlap between their expectations and what we present...
1: What they the perceive of what we present or what too. What they know, perceive, We send course. so many signs, our website yeah. and uh, Psychology Today uh, page. Mm-hmm. But what people will perceive of it yeah. is really out of our hands. Yes.
0: And we live in a different world right now in terms of social media. Our presence in the world has expanded. Decades ago, someone would see the name in a directory or someone would give a referral. This is the name and this is the phone number. And the person would call. And there were no pictures necessarily. There were no no media that the patient could access. Nowadays, it's completely different. They Mm -hmm. see us. Before we see them, just to give a very clear example, in my pictures, in my website, people may notice that I have earrings and I have a pierced nose and they may see the industrial in one of my ears. So that may communicate something. Oh, it Uh, will.
1: But the question is what? What? Some people will will. be uh, terrified.
0: Of course. Some of them will be terrified and would immediately say, this is not a person I may contact. Ever. Ever. (laughs) And other people may say, okay, this is a person I want to contact. And in both cases, of course, there's a lot of fantasy
1: involved. Of course. And that's a question of, will I be seen? Who will be able to see us or not? That I think we are facing all the time and that we have very little control over.
0: Yeah. It ties to something that is not the theme of this podcast, but it's about what do we disclose and what we don't. And when the patient comes in and then asks direct questions... Well about it is what they, their assumptions. It is uh, part of the
1: okay. social, though, because we live in a society now mm. that is not for society. It's not like our society. It's a society where people can look you up. It is. Yeah, and so as a clinician, you have to be aware that we live in such a society and to manage your presence on the Internet, knowing that.
0: That's why some people, some analysts, decide to have two different Facebook pages, let's say. Mm-hmm. One is a professional one and the other is a personal page.
1: Yeah. We can conclude this podcast. Remind our audience of the importance of the general relativity of all social norms and dynamics, either in space or in time. We have to stay aware of that when we read articles, when we listen to our patients. The fact that our patients are carrying with them all the version of themselves that they have been and that they grew up in a time and space that is actually, that has to be different than the time and space they come to see you. An example we have on a very regular basis is I would say mostly with gay men. Uh, With women, I think the question is raised very differently. But it's certainly when you work with a gay man, you have to keep in mind the society they grew up in that is in some ways significantly different than the society now. You have to create a connection with all of that. Yeah. I'm using this example, but actually you can use with everybody. And that's something we're going to bring up next time, the question of modernity, is that we, it seems like we are in societies that are moving relatively fast, and I would say maybe too fast for individual human capacities. So it's pretty rare today to find someone who grew up in a certain society and is still in the same today. Mm. Different societies value different values differently, and that has a massive impact on each of us, whether we are directly targeted or not. So what comes to mind to conclude is also the idea that I would say in my sense that we are not a substance. We are a multiplicity and it is hard to feel like oneself. Therefore, the analyst is going to try to help patients integrate themselves. As an analyst, we really need to stay sensitive to all the different variation that people are bringing, and not just an internal conflict, not just their representation, but really where they came from. Again, I'm going to repeat myself, but it is it can be a significantly different experience to grow up in the middle of the U.S. and growing in the capital of France. doesn't mean you can't talk to each other. I think it would be a, a misunderstanding of what we're trying to say here. We can certainly talk to each other with can certainly uh, try to understand each other and it can be very beneficial actually to be from such apparently different places. But it is important as an analyst to keep in mind that not everything has to be seen in terms of internal conflicts. Where people come from, their values, what people used to do, how how they express their anger, how they express their happiness. It is very much influenced by where we come from.
0: In addition, all of these identities can be socially constructed and therefore some of them may shift as a person moves through life. So someone who grew up in the Midwest, as you said, there was something at the forefront in terms of connecting to other people in the Midwest. They move to New York City, and some other identities will move to the forefront. What I'm trying to say here is that there is a fluidity to the identities, and we need to keep in mind that within the treatment, those identities may also go one to the forefront, other to the back. So, um, and yeah. so on and so forth.
1: All that to say that we need to maintain, uh, to be somewhat aware of social dynamics and still maintain a critical mind. Psychonesis, in my sense, is only relevant when it is subversive and in some ways when it is antisocial. We have to put ourselves as much as possible out of social constructs and to be critical of the social. Otherwise, we can't do any analysis. Otherwise, we are moving into compliance, Mm -hmm. I think.
0: It's about deconstructing the identities because they are socially constructed. Therefore, in the analysis, we're hoping to understand how they were built but and they are not only socially constructed.
1: They're, they're there are some and
0: intrapsychic and features, of yeah. course. But, but how we need to be careful about that because at some point people f- thought that being a man or a woman was intrapsychic, let's say. And we understand that to be more complex than just the intrapsychic. Then Freud was began already
1: mentioning the bisexuality yes. and how the little boy would both love his mother and his father, mm-hmm. and how the society is going to inhibit some of the drives. We need to keep that in mind, too. I mean, I think what's fascinating is how the unconscious uh, seems to be able to maintain a lot of what would be consciously uh, conflicting identities. But then the question is, why would someone be more sensitive to this socially construct identity than the other, etc.? But yes, they come from somewhere. Like, it is something to be a man in one place. It is something to be a man in a different place, etc. And same for women, etc. Like, it's not a given. There's no given identity. There are no universals. Yeah.
0: Um, So.
1: And it seems especially difficult, I think, in a place like America... Uh, and in the U.S., mm-hmm. which seems to experience itself as somewhat of an island disconnected yes. from the world, that actually it is a very different experience to be a man in France than it is to be a man in the U.S. In the U.S. It is certainly a very different experience to be a black man in Alabama. Mm -hmm. than it is to be uh, in New York, etc. I mean, we could go on and on and on.
0: My understanding of the United States is that it tends to be more individualistic cultures. And yet, there's a social demand that you conform to certain group roles and social norms, which I think is a conflict in itself. You strive to be an individual at the same time that you are demanded... You have to be a certain type of individual. (laughs) A certain type of individual, yeah. Uh therefore, um I think that is uh that creates a lot of conflict.
1: I remember someone telling me that she would recognize French men in New York streets because they can wear a scarf.
0: Oh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that American men don't
1: wear a scarf because it's too feminine. It's too feminine, yeah. Of course I wear scarves. I mean if it's cold, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why would you suffer just to look manly <laughs> whatever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And finally, everybody probably remembers the famous quote from Winnicott that there's no such thing as a baby mm-hmm. because the baby only exists with an environment slash a mother. And I would say that there is no such thing as psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis exists only uh, within a culture. Yeah. Like the attempt to create a pure version of psychoanalysis is, uh, let me say it in this way, kind of sick.
0: Well, that is a religion. It's a pure system. And therefore, as you said, Can be sick. (laughs) And that coming from me, it says a lot.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I guess this is how the podcast ends. I just want to say, as Edgar said, that there's no universal. The question still remains as whether there's no universal only in terms of values or also in terms of of how the psyche functions. I think we all agree that there is no universal values and that we should be very much aware of that. But then the question is, is it remains of whether the psyche functions the same way in every human being.
0: That is a deep and profound statement. And I wonder if we can agree on that statement or not. My perspective is that We don't have enough information to believe that the psychic structure is the same in every human being.
1: This is it for today. We'll see you next month. If you like the podcast, please give us five stars. And we are looking forward to reading your comments, criticism, or anything you want to share with us about uh, this podcast or another one. Mm
0: -hmm. You can find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter, So on so forth.
1: Or directly to discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me.
0: Thank you again for listening to us and engaging with us in, in discussions on psychoanalysis. Bye bye. Bye.